0: Welcome to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. My name is Dave Mons and my aim is to share big ideas from science and the humanities to get your thinking and to help you make sense of the world. She should have died hereafter. There would have been a time for such a word. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all our yesterdays have lighted falls the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's butter-walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. These famous lines from the soliloquy of Macbeth in Shakespeare's eponymous 16th century play Ring of Existential Dread. Life full of sound and fury, then heard no more, signifying nothing. In this final chapter on existentialism, we explore its darkest corner, that of nihilism. Where the existentialism of Sartre offered us hope so long as we live an authentic life and avoid bad faith, and absurdism required only that we accept the futility of our existence but still strive to fill our lives with as much living as possible, nihilism offers us no such optimism. Easily the most cynical of the existentialist positions, it accepts that all of existence is meaningless, there is no point in pretending otherwise. All attempts to fill life and seek knowledge and meaning are pointless. So why bother? We may as well tear it down. As Tatalia and Lanera said in their recent work, A Defense of Nihilism, quote, We are just people going in and out of rooms, sending electronic messages, falling in love, eating apples, signing nuclear non-proliferation treaties, and so on. All these things go on. Some of them are really important to us, but they don't add up to anything in the cosmic scheme of things. For the simple reason, there isn't a cosmic scheme of things. End quote. This take on nihilism tends to fluff it up somewhat. The earlier forms of nihilism which came to prominence throughout the 19th century with the work of the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche are far more pessimistic. In the Nietzschean interpretation... Nihilism is literally the devaluing of the highest level of values. It is, quote, not only the belief that everything deserves to perish, but one actually puts one's shoulder to the plough, one destroys. Throughout his discourse on nihilism, Nietzsche prophesizes a dark conclusion to the Enlightenment experiment of positivist rationalization. One can only but reach the same inevitable conclusion that there is nothing. From this, it follows that all systems and structures of meaning in society must crumble, quote, with a tortured tension that is growing from decade to decade, restlessly, violently, headlong, like a river that wants to reach the end, end, quote. Some 25 years after his death, the first shots would be fired in the conflict that became the Great War, and a few decades after that, we saw the rise of Nazism and the catastrophe of the Second World War and the Holocaust, Has there been a darker series of events in human history? The culmination of the technological innovations of humanity, coupled with a seeming loss of morality, had devastating results. However, was this all because of nihilism? Or was humanity fooled yet again into following a system of meaning and value which it became convinced was the higher purpose of life? Regardless, the truth of nihilism is that it makes little difference how we interpret the past, the present or even the future because for a nihilist it is all meaningless. The word nihilism is formed from two parts Nihil, which means literally nothing and ism, which is an ideology. Nihilism is an ideology of nothingness. It's the Seinfeldian version of existence. There is a common assumption, though, that to be a nihilist, literally to believe in nothingness, is akin to being an anarchist with a crazed ideal to topple established moral codes and institutions. Perhaps this comes from its association with the etymologically similar word, annihilate. But also, if we openly admit that there is no purpose or meaning to anything, then we may as well do us what we please, at whatever the cost. The nihilist is assumed by association to be a misanthrope despising people and all things. Nietzsche certainly sung from this songbook. However, such a view conflates psychopathy with philosophy. Or, put another way, to believe in nothing does not imply that one should destroy what is, because why should believing in nothing lead one to act out against others? What difference does it make to do anything, good or bad? It doesn't make a difference. So it does not follow that the nihilist must be a crazed maniac, hell-bent on destruction, because he literally doesn't care. But for many, nihilism is painfully difficult to accept. They refuse to accept that there can be nothing beyond the here and now. The nihilist must be a lost soul that needs saving, to be shown the light, to be brought back into line, lest they sow the seeds of their ill-content among the wider populace. And I'm not only referring to religious believers, I'm also speaking of secular atheists as well. Believing in a creator is only one version of belief. The atheist creates elaborate meaning systems through all manner of socially constructed quasi-religious institutions. Science, politics, economics and complex systems of morality and ethics purport not only to explain the meaning of life but dictate how it should be lived. The modern-day Nihilist eschews all of this, and is not specifically anti-religious, it's just that for the Nihilist, it's all folly. In answer to that old-age question, what is the meaning of life, the Nihilist replies nonplussed, there isn't one. How unsatisfying. Let us briefly return to the work of Soren Kierkegaard, which we touched on in episode 84. Kierkegaard's approach to existentialism was in response to what he perceived to be a general apathy that had crept over Enlightenment society. Life had become a little too easy. People had moved away from their faith, their struggle to become better Christians. Kierkegaard referred to this process as levelling, where people became uniformly unexceptional. The solution, that he thought, was for people to throw themselves into religiosity with passion, to recognise the struggle in the worship of God and through living a pious life. A similar concern yet of dissimilar theme emerged in the 19th century through Nietzsche's writings on power. Nietzsche too was fed up with what he saw as a levelling of society. While a devout atheist, he was frustrated with the seeming lack of attention the problem of nihilism was getting. He wanted people to acknowledge that because there was nothing coming down the pike, or pipe depending on where you learn the phrase from, we must act now and ardently to make the best of our lives. He held the levelling of the herd, as he referred to society, in contempt. What these two views have in common is a frustration with the tendency of humanity to settle for mediocrity to simply accept our lot in life or to trust in some higher power or meaning which will come through for us regardless of the futility of our actions. Both Kierkegaard and Nietzsche, through their own interpretations, implored people to look around at the reality of a nihilist existence and acknowledge that only through concerted effort to live can be found an antidote for the seeming drudgery of a meaningless life. This seems to be the antithesis of the typical portrayal of nihilism as a pessimistic, metaphysical position. It is not, life is pointless so you may as well just lay about doing nothing and whatever you do, don't have children and condemn them to more pointless suffering as the antinatalist position goes. But from a nihilist perspective, there's scarcely any period in history when a great levelling has not been taking place. Perhaps it is the default mode of the human condition. The recent film Don't Look Up provides a painful insight into the levelling of contemporary nihilistic society and the reality of living in an indifferent universe. However, in the Stoic tradition of keep calm and carry on, it's not all bad. It's just, well, meh. As the philosophers James Italia and Tracy Linera put it, pessimism is not a statement about the universe, it's a mood, a frame of reference. To say that there's no purpose for anything is merely a statement of fact which should carry with it no emotional valence. It's neither good nor bad that there is no cosmic meaning. It just is what it is. For instance, it would be ridiculous to question objectively whether it's a good thing or a bad thing if the sky is blue. It depends on your specific point of view. If you're heading to the beach, then sure, it's a good thing, but if you need rain for your crops, then having blue sky is probably not such a good thing. Either way, the sky doesn't care what you think, it's just blue. The value of a position is irrelevant until it becomes subject to individual interpretation. Acknowledging an objective reality, in so far as that's possible as a human, is only a beginning point, a statement of how it is, but not what it means. It is up to us to come up with something, but no amount of coming up with meaning changes the is of something to a what it is. We don't need to worry about the value of our lives at a cosmic level because there isn't any, and that is neither good nor bad, it just is. We can only concern ourselves with the immediacy of our own lives and the choices we make from moment to moment. Circuitously then, we've ended up back where we started with Sartre and the authentic life. So, time for some concluding thoughts to this philosophical existential mess I've left us with. That's the trouble with exploring existentialism. It leaves one feeling somewhat empty. Don't take on an empty stomach. You'll just feel emptier. Despite Sartre's view that existentialism is an optimistic philosophical position, or Camus' vague attempt to reconcile Sisyphus's damnation by imploring us to imagine him happy, the objective truth that nihilism doesn't shy away from remains. It may seem academically arrogant to say from the high perch of the philosopher that by reason alone there can be no God and thus there can be no meaning to existence. Therefore, we are doomed to toil and amuse ourselves for nothing. Indeed, millions or billions of fellow citizens of the good earth are devout followers, believers of a religion or an organized morality. Believers don't question whether life has a meaning because for them it is a foregone conclusion. It has to have meaning for God to exist. The question of why God started this whole thing in the first place remains unanswered, but at least it explains our lives and gives us something to strive toward. This is where the metaphorical rubber of existentialism must meet the road of actual lived experience. While philosophers have given us a lot to ponder, thinking about difficult questions of epistemology and ontology seem to be little more than mental masturbation. Thinking does little to reconcile our existential woes. What people really get off on is action. The doers of the world are the ones who truly transcend nihilism. They conjure meaning from the fucking ether, and they get on with living. When we leave behind the dreary literature of the continental philosophers and get on with living, we see a different reality. And this is where psychology picks up from philosophy and forges on with the concrete and tangible, at least as far as human behavior goes. Tell an anthropologist, a behavioral economist or a sociologist that there is no essence to human behavior, that each person creates themselves from the ground up, and stand back and wait for the laughter. One need only observe the experiments of the classical behaviors like B.F. Skinner or the questionably ethical Stanley Milgram to see that humans make consistent decisions for reasons they are often not even aware of. Humans don't lurch from one purposeful endeavour to the next. They follow subconsciousness so deeply hardwired that it took millennia to even discover it. Bookshops have devoted entire sections to popularised accounts of just this type of work. Think Daniel Kahneman, Cass Sunstein and many others. There is most definitely a form to the human condition, something we would call human nature. We behave predictably across different settings and circumstances, often irrespective of cultural background. It is not only that humans feel a need to create meaning system to give their lives purpose, it's that this behaviour is seemingly built into our psyche. We don't seek meaning because we need meaning, we seek meaning because we are philosophical by nature, we seek answers. Nihilism though is an acceptance of the reality that regardless of the meaning systems we may develop or subscribe to, we will never find the answers which we crave. The plight of our condition is not that there are no answers, it's that we'll keep searching for what we can never find. But don't be too dissuaded. We can still take some consolation from our desire for action, to get on with our lives anyway, because we relish the journey. Our minds and our behaviour have evolved to protect us from the truth of a nihilistic universe, and somewhere in all of that pointless suffering are some bloody good times. Consider then the experience machine. It's a thought experiment presented in the 1970s by the philosopher Robert Nozick. Imagine you could be hooked up to an experience machine. It's a matrix-esque universe where you experience only good things. Your life would be filled with all of the things you like. Nothing bad ever happens. It's an existence of pure bliss. Now, would you rather live in this manufactured reality or in the real world? If you said no, you'd prefer reality, then most people would agree with you. Nozick took this as evidence for his argument that humans seek more than just hedonistic pleasure. We want the struggle. We need that contrast of failure, pain and suffering to appreciate the pleasurable experiences of life and our successes. However, the experience machine doesn't give a purpose to life. It serves only to populate existence with good sensations. The reality of the experience machine is as nihilistic as the real world, but it's a far more tolerable version of it. To not want to return to the experience machine, then, seems to be an irrational choice in a nihilist reality. But equally, that may be why most people would prefer reality, because if given the choice, people would rather trudge on in search of meaning than give up on the project altogether. This is something of a paradox. We take it as a challenge to create as much meaning and purpose in a life of struggle where bad things happen for no apparent reason, despite the cold hard truth that there really is no point in doing so. And this is one of the remarkable things about human beings. Even though we know deep down how absurd life is, we've created layer upon layer of meaning in a complex illusion of existential purpose. There is no end to how resourceful we've become at getting on with living despite the contradictions that lurk in the back of our minds. Perhaps Nietzsche was wrong and humanity is not destined for nihilistic destruction after all. If you follow the questionable narrative arc of this podcast, you'll notice I keep returning to several core themes. One of these is the seemingly futile search for meaning and purpose in life and what we should do with what we learn. And that is culminated in this brief series on existentialism and its related topics of absurdism and nihilism. Another theme that I often explore considers the complex social dynamics which govern the distribution of power throughout society. Both of these themes lead to a similar place justice, and the search to understand how to live a good life in an unfair world where luck is distributed haphazardly. Lately, we hear a lot about Stoic principles like accountability and individual responsibility, and they seem to align with the idea of an authentic life and of transcending one's circumstances. However, I also believe that there are limits imposed upon people depending on the luck of where they were born, when they were born, and the circumstances in which they were raised. This does not mean that one should not make the greatest attempt to live their best life, but we must also acknowledge that life is hard and there is a lot of suffering and no amount of self-belief can change that. Searching for meaning may be as good a use of your time here as any other endeavour, but be sure to also devote some time to seeking justice too. I'm often reminded of my conversation with Trevor Harley back in episode 61. We talked of his many achievements, the books had written and the academic positions that he'd held. But we also spoke of his lifelong struggles with mental health, and I commented that I thought it was amazing what he'd been able to achieve despite these inner struggles. And he replied, Imagine what I would have been able to achieve had it not been for those struggles. I think that encapsulates my point about the limitations that are placed upon us through circumstances which are often outside of our control. We have an obligation to live our most authentic life to try to raise ourselves up and transcend the facticity of our circumstances. However, we are also limited by what we have within us and what we are given. Set aside worries of meaning and purpose then, because nothing can change that, and I'll do my best to set it aside in 2022 as well, but I can't make any promises. As I record this on the final day of a combined eight weeks in forced isolation this year, I've found that it can be quite interesting to make something out of nothing. So my advice to you, dear listener, is to seek comfort where you can find it, to be kind and strive for fairness in an unfair world. But most of all, take action while you can, because life need not only be shadow, there is light too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Here and Now podcast or Twitter at Here Now podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to keep up to date with all of the latest episodes. And if you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon or leave a review at the Apple Podcasts app. You can reach out to me via the pages or email Now at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.